You may be seated in the house of God. How many are glad to be here today? Amen. I'm so glad that you are here. We are making our way through the book of Matthew. If this is your first time here, thanks for coming. For those of you who know, we're going through it verse by verse. Let's go to Matthew chapter 18. As you can see in the sermon title, chapter 18 has so many nuggies in it. Talks about greatness, talks about lost sheep, sin, and forgiveness. And so let's get into it today, and may the Lord bless us as we continue to read his word. And may I encourage you, as I did in times past, to keep reading the word throughout the week. If all you did is just reread what I went over today and then read ahead, you'd be doing good. Do that every day. Just repeat it. And if you're looking for more cool things to do, start reading a psalm a day, a proverb a day. They've got it on audio Bible, all of those things to help you. Look at Matthew chapter 18, verse 1. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, and whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. Can I hear an amen to that? So I'm going to do just what Jesus did. I'm going to grab out a child as an illustration. Somebody go, oh, come on, here she comes, one of my little princesses. Hey, buddy, don't be nervous, okay? Just like the way we planned it. <laughs> Why are you crying, little buddy? Okay. I did this with Rachel's kids in the first service, and I felt a little bit embarrassed for them because they were moving around a little bit. Now I'm much more embarrassed with my child crying. But you're all right. Now, when we bring in children into the service, there's going to be a lot of unexpected things, isn't there? We don't know what to expect when they come. You don't have to suck on that finger. Just let it go. There you go. When Jesus brought that child in, did the child cry? Who knows? You know? But having children in our church is not just for the parents' benefit. It's also for our benefit as those who are observing children. Jesus took a child from the crowd and brought that child right in front of everybody, just like I did, and said, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. See, the kingdom of heaven is just like you today. You want to know why? Because you trusted me to bring you up here, even though you are so nervous and I feel bad for you. But look at daddy. You're doing good. You're doing good. Do you know that daddy loves you? Okay. You guys feel so bad for her right now as I do as well. But we're going to finish this illustration. Pastors, kids. I want you to think about it. What do you think Jesus was saying the kingdom of heaven is like when he pointed to one of these children right here? What do you think he meant by that? Well, she has to trust us, doesn't she, for everything in her life. So when I feed her, we could poison her, and she would never know it. Wouldn't that be a sad thing? But she trusts us to feed her. Jesus said, be like that. Trust me to take care of you. Another way that she... She shows us the kingdom of heaven is that her heart is always to please us. Even though right now she might be a little bit embarrassed, and that's a lot for her to do as a child, her heart is always to please us since you do such a good job. You are always such a good girl. And when she pleases us, she really feels, as parents, she feels like that's a part of accomplishing something. 
as children, we are to please our heavenly father. We're not to try to look at how much we can get away with. We're to say, God, what can I do to please you today to make you smile? And then another way the kingdom of heaven is like them is that they're innocent. Even though they may get themselves into trouble every now and then and do things that maybe they're not supposed to, they never really have an impure motive. They're willing to learn to do it right through their mistakes, but their heart is normally innocent. Now at times, like I said, they can mess up, but how many have seen the innocence of a child as you've been around them? Anybody been around a child? Have you seen the innocence? Isn't it beautiful? So what are the three ways that we can take from Jesus' words right here and apply it to our life? Number one, they trust us. We are to trust God. Number two, they allow God, uh, the parent, to provide for them. We are to trust God to provide for us. And then lastly, they have an innocence about them, and we are to be innocent about the things that are evil and do that which is good. Can I hear an amen? Good job, buddy. Give daddy kisses. Was that so bad? No, it wasn't so bad. I'll run to mama. Let's give it up for her as she goes. When Jesus was asked this question about who is the greatest, he didn't say, let's not worry about it. He didn't say, you know what, being great in the kingdom of God, that's not something you should worry about. Just everybody be whoever you want to be. No. The idea of being great in the kingdom is an awesome thing. You should want to be great in the kingdom of God, just like you want to be great on your job. How many here want to be great on their job? Amen. You should want to be great on your job and great in the kingdom. The worst kind of Christian there is, is a Christian that lives outside of Christianity on their job with their neighbors in a community and then gives Christ a bad name. If you're always coming late to your job and you're not wanting to do great things on your job, that gives Christianity a bad name. That gives me a bad name. Now, that doesn't mean you have to get every promotion, every raise, so on and so forth. But what it means is you should be outstanding on your job. You should have a reputation that if right now we were to go talk to your boss, they would say, they're great at what they do. I appreciate who they are. Thank you as being a good pastor in their life because I can see them as a good person. Because when will a boss ever say to you, we don't appreciate your humility? When do you think a boss is going to say, I want you to be more prideful? When do you think a, say, a customer would say to you, I want you to be more prideful with me? I mean, just, just think to yourself, have you ever left, you know, leaving a restaurant or something and you said to yourself, they were just too humble. They were just too kind to me. They were just too nice. Have you ever bought something from a salesperson and you were just like, they were too nice, they were too kind? No, you can never be too kind. You can never be too loving, but you can be prideful. You can be arrogant. You can be self-serving. And so the Bible is teaching us we should want to be great in the kingdom. So if you're thinking to yourself like, nah, I don't want to be great. I just want to, you know, kind of slip in, slip out. Uh, You know, that's for somebody else. No, that's not good. You should have the desire to be great just like you should have the desire to be great on your job. But how are you going to be great? You're going to be great like a child. You're going to take a heart of a child in this church and say, I'm going to do it with everything that I have. And if you do that here in this church, I promise you, whatever you put your heart to do out in the world, you'll be great at. 
You'll be great because you'll be humble there. You'll be teachable there. You'll be innocent there. You'll follow the program there. And if you're a boss, you'll set that standard so people will do that with you. And so in verse 4, it says, Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of a child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever welcomes one such as these, the Bible says a child in my name welcomes me. So whenever we welcome children like this in the name of Jesus, the Bible says we get a reward as if we welcome Jesus himself. This Wednesday, we had 95 children and adults at our children's program. Can I hear an amen to that? I think it's like over 60, almost 70 children on Wednesday, and then the 20-plus workers. You see, those are people who are welcoming children in the name of Jesus. Even if you're not called to do children's ministry, you should be called to welcome children into your life. So everybody follow the flow here. Jesus is walking with his disciples, and they're like, Jesus, we want to be great. What do we have to do? He takes out a child, and he says, this is what greatness looks like. This is what it looks Looks like to be great. And then when you welcome children in my name, you're like welcoming me. Let's go to the next verse, verse six. In the next verse, this is what we see. It gets a little bit more serious. He says, if anyone uh, causes, if anyone causes one of these little ones to, who believe in me to stumble or to sin, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. One of the most powerful words Jesus ever spoke was to those who wanted to hurt children. So he then takes the example of children since he's on the subject, and now he says, if you cause these to stumble or to sin, which is a better translation, and it's in other versions, so I prefer that. If you cause one of these to sin, it would be better for you to take a thousand-pound rock a thousand pound piece of concrete tied around your neck and go drown in the depths of the sea. How much more serious could Jesus have talked about his hatred towards child abuse? Let's just get this in our understanding first and then I'll make some application. Jesus is literally saying to a person that's about ready to abuse a child, you're already going to hell. That's already a given. It would be better for now for you to blow off your head and go to hell now as opposed to abusing a child and then going to hell. He is teaching that the pain of hell will be worse for those who have abused children. So just like there are gradients in the kingdom of God in reward, there are gradients of punishment in hell. There will be people punished more in hell and there will be people rewarded more in heaven. Does everybody get that? And we've already talked about some of this before because he says, Woe unto you, Chorazin, a place that he's pre preaching at and speaking to that's rejecting him. He goes, Woe to you because you've rejected me. It will be better for Sodom and Gomorrah than it will be for you on Judgment Day. How many remember, remember that? And then we've already been through places where the Bible has said great faith, little faith, great faith, little faith. And then we'll get into stewardship parables where he rewards them according to their efforts. So listen, we are saved by grace through faith. 
That's not of yourself. But after you are saved, by grace, you are to do the works that God prepared for you, and then you'll be rewarded based on that. You won't be rewarded based on what I did. I won't be rewarded based on what you did. We'll both be equally rewarded based on what God told us individually to do. And the flip side of that is true. You will be punished according to what you did. Everyone doesn't get the same hell. So Jesus is saying it very clearly here. If your heart is set on abusing children, then just drown yourself in the sea now so you have less punishment in eternity in the hellfire. How do we know that's as serious as he's making it right here? Because the very next verse says, Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to sin. Such things must come, but woe to the person through whom they come. So let me make some application here. When you hear about parents committing suicide with their children, they will suffer a worse torment in hell than if they would have just committed suicide before they took their children with them. Have you heard of those kinds of stories? Sadly, there was just one in Latin America where the mother took her daughter and jumped off the bridge, or her son rather. In hell now, she is suffering more because she took her son with her. She would have been better to jump off by herself than to take her child with her. There is a higher degree of punishment for that. Now let me be clear into this church as well. If you have abused children, you need to repent now. Now you need to repent before you face God on judgment day. Because on that day, you will have wished you would have killed yourself as opposed to abusing that child because you will face a certain level of torment. If you have broken the law and there is no statue of limitation for child abuse, you need to turn yourself in today. We will help you go to jail. Listen to me. You need to go to jail and you need to do it now because you are not promised tomorrow. And if you are here and you have been abused as a child, listen to me very carefully. Your time to still report it is today. If you are in that situation, we will help you get out. I cannot think of something more serious that this church should be about than our children's welfare. So if you are here and you have criminalized a child, Jesus can forgive you if you repent, but you must now confess it and serve your time for that crime. If you think to yourself, you are just going to confess it and then move on, and God is going to accept that, that is false repentance. Your repentance will not get you forgiveness. Listen to me. Everyone here better take this serious. If you take this with you to the grave, and you think, because I did not get caught, or I secretly said I was sorry, and you did not make restitution before God and man, the people you abused, and before the law, you will go to hell. That is a given. And then in hell, you will suffer more than those who did not abuse children. So as a pastor, I don't know how else to make this more clear. This is the trouble that I get into for being a pastor that reads the Bible verse by verse. Because some of y'all wish probably that I just skipped over sections like this or somehow allegorized this and made it to be something it's not. Your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, told you this. I am just reading it. Right now, if God forbid I were to die and have a heart attack, how many know the Bible still remains? 
How many know, should we all die a hundred years from now? No one's alive. The Bible still remains. The Bible says heaven and earth will pass away, but not one word will pass away from this. So I want to be a good pastor to you. I have helped, listen to me, I have helped child abusers go to jail. I will help you go to jail. I will call the police. We'll be there when they arrest you. We'll start to visit you. We'll come to the Bible studies that they have there for you. We will help you be in jail. If you have done a crime that causes you to die, we will be there the day you die. Even though Illinois doesn't have the death penalty, if you did it in Texas or somewhere else, we'll come the day you're executed so you can be ready to meet Jesus. But I want you to get this very clear. You will not get away with child abuse. You will not. God has watched you. He has seen it, and it's better for you to handle it now. Have a clear conscience. Join, start Metro Praise International in Springfield, wherever the penitentiary is. It would be better for you to start a jailhouse ministry than for you to think it's not going to be taken seriously on Judgment Day. I've already helped others do it. I will help you do it. And if you are here today and you are abused, we will help you get out of that abusive situation. We have helped others, and we will help you. Can I hear an Amen. We love our children. We will protect our children. We are not like the Catholic Church here. We will not make excuses for Father Tom. If anyone in my church has ever done that to you, including my wife, we're calling them up. The police, they're going to jail today. Are you listening? I don't care who they are. They will go to jail. We will never cover them up. I don't care if, like I said, it's my wife. We will handle that. And then also, I want you to understand, there's a reason why there's empty chairs always in this church. While we're still growing, praise God, the biggest we've ever been, more finances than we've ever had. Just finished off August, uh, July with an amazing financial month. Thank you, thank you, thank you. But listen to me. There's always empty chairs because people do not want to hear this. I don't care about Bishop so-and-so. I don't care about Father Tom. I don't care about Cardinal so-and-so. And I don't care about teachers. I don't care who's gotten away with it, where when or where, not here, in Jesus' name. And if you ever meet a person that goes, oh, those pastors like this and these churches cover up this, you need to be real quick and be like, no, no, you haven't met my pastor yet. You have, well, Watch this video from the August, uh, for whatever today is, August 5th, what is today? 4th. Watch that service from August 4th. I guarantee you, you have not met a pastor like mine if they're thinking pastors are about that. I can tell you story after story from my own friend's church they abuse children in those places, and then they cover it up because they don't want it to go out. That is the exact opposite here. We'll be the first one to go uncover it. I met a young lady that used to go to our, our, um, our youth group, and she went to a visiting church, and I hadn't seen her for a while, so I saw her at Bible college when I was getting my doctorate here at Trinity in Deerfield. And I said, why, why didn't I see you around anymore? She said, well, I kind of lost my faith, and I just I didn't want to go to church. And I said, man, we missed you. What happened? And she said, my mom was married to a man, my stepdad, who was a leader in the church. He abused me. I told the pastor. He just had the man say sorry and then told me not to tell the police so he doesn't get deported. I looked at her with tears in my eyes, and I said, I am so sorry that happened. But can I be honest with you? She said, yes. I said, if that man doesn't repent, he's going to hell. Your pastor who covered that up, if he doesn't repent, he's going to hell with them. Your mom, who helped cover it up, going to hell. I don't know how else to take it. If anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. You want me to read it to you in Greek now? It don't change. 
So here we protect the children. Now let me make some more applications. Sex traffickers are going to hell. When I see this in Thailand, when some of these parents are happy to have daughters so they can send them off to the sex trafficking trade, they are going to hell. People who abuse illegal immigration to do sex trafficking in this city, they are going to hell. Does everybody get this? If you participate in that, you are going to hell. Sex traffickers will go to hell. Abortion is murder. Those who murder their children will go to hell. If you are here as an abortionist, if you have bought prostitutes that were a part of a sex trafficking ring, you better run up here and repent before God and man and get your life right today. And if you need to go to jail for sex trafficking or looking at child porn, I will walk you to the jail today and you can say today's my first day as being a Christian because now I'm repenting for the evil I've done. Jesus changed me. Does everybody get that? We will be held accountable for how we teach, uh, how we treat our children. And so this idea that religion has been a part of the cover-up of child abuse and all of these other things is absolutely sickening to me. We should be the ones that are uncovering all of the abuse in the culture. We should be the one protecting the children. We should be the one rushing to get them off the streets if there's sex trafficking rings. If we know of child pornography, one of the churches that I went to as a kid, the, child, the children's pastor was taking pictures of the children in the bathrooms. We should be the first runs to run and get these people out of, their, uh, out of these children's lives and to put them into jail and to protect the innocent. And if you did it, as a teenager, because some of you were abused yourself and then you were exploring and being abusive like kissing cousins and all of that, you need to come here, repent, and then get counseling and admit you have a problem or had a problem and get help in that. And we'll pay for counseling. And if you don't have to go to jail, that's great. But you better get it out and you better go tell that cousin you are sorry. You better make it right before God and man because we believe in this scripture here. And we will defend every person that we can. I remember talking to one woman. She uh, was abused by her husband, and, she, and her husband abused her son uh, physically. And we were sitting down and talking with them, and we said to the man, if you do that again, all of this is going to be taken from you. Now, I didn't know at that time that it was already supposed to be taken from me. I was supposed to call the police. That's my fault. But now we know how to be better at that, and that was many, many years ago. That was when we first started here, within the first two years. The woman got so mad at me because she said, you are threatening my husband. You're treating him so bad. So she would rather go home with a man that beat her and her kids than to let her pastor get up in that husband's face. Listen, I will lose people like that every day. I don't care what you think. Do you understand? I will tell the abuser, we're calling the police. It's not we're working it out, we're calling the police. And I wish I would have done that then and watched that guy go right to jail. Because if they were going to still leave the church, that's up to them. But, I, you know, I would rather have seen him go to jail and then her find another church. Because at least I would have done my part as a pastor. And I'm so glad that, you know, the government, better or for worse, is really helping uh, the churches get motivated with this. Because if they don't report these things starting now with all of these new laws in place, they're going to be held just as guilty. And let me just also share this with the Roman Catholic Church. It has never been more corrupt than it is right now. There are cardinals coming out saying that even the Pope has known about all this, the specific Pope we have right now, and has tried to cover it up. Because they say if they took all of the confessions seriously, they would go out of business. They would owe so many people money. There's thousands, thousands thousands of children that have been abused by those wicked priests. 
That's sin. And the Bible says it's coming. I, you know, Jesus is not saying, well, we live in a make-believe world. No, he goes, I know it's coming. Such things must come because the devil's wicked and he uses and abuses people. But woe to the person through whom they come. Now let's go to the next part, please, in verse 8. Because right there and then, what are most of us thinking now? Well, I'm glad I don't abuse children. Right? Most of us don't abuse children, praise God. You know, 99.99% of people are not going to abuse children. It's one of the most wickedest things in a culture. Most of us don't do it. So we're probably thinking, good, I'm going to heaven. I'm a good person. I go to church. No, no, no. Jesus just springs board to another thing right from that. He goes, and if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. Any sin. Any kind of sin. You better get rid of that hand or foot. It's better for you to enter life maimed, that's eternal life, or crippled than to have two hands, two feet, and to be thrown into eternal fire. So he's like, the only one, you know, child molesters aren't the only ones going to hell. Those who live in continual sin will also go to hell. And he says, if your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life with one eye than for you to have two eyes and be thrown into what? To be thrown into what? Come on, say it like you mean. To be thrown into the fire of, come on, to be thrown into what? Fire of hell. Some of y'all ain't reading the Bible with me today. Read it. To be thrown into the fire of hell. Well, are you threatening me, Pastor Joe? No, God is threatening you. Deal with it. I don't like it when Pastor Joe talks about hell. Jesus talks about hell. I'm, what am I doing? Am I reading my autobiography? Did, did, did I say for the next year, 2019, Joe's going to go verse by verse through his autobiography? And now we're in 1985 when Joe was just a little boy. And what was Joe? Joe was just a little boy. Is that what we're doing here? Am I reading Joe's opinions? Do I have up here some philosophy book? Am I reading here what some person has said? Well, Aristotle said this. Plato said this. What am I reading to you? The words of the blessed Lord Jesus Christ, the creator of heaven and earth. We are going to be held accountable to these words. So will anybody on judgment day have an excuse? No. And how much more serious could he have taken it to tell us to do something about it? And I was kind of joking in the first service because somebody might go, well, is it metaphorical to cut it off or literal? And I, and I, I said this then, I'll say it now. Well, that's up to how bad you're sinning. Because if, if Bruce Jenner wants to play make-believe and, and uh, make himself a Dr. Jack, uh, 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 Frankenstein and make himself now a, a gen, uh, what's his name, uh, uh, what's her name, Caitlyn Jenner, which he's still Bruce, right? So if he wants to make himself a Frankenstein with cutting off and removing, listen to me, you would be smart to do that if that's literally going to cost you heaven and hell. Doctor, I can't stop looking at stuff. Take out my eyes. I was born with the wrong eyes. I got the wrong hands. Do you know there's actually a sickness like that, by the way, where they have their own dephoria. Gender dephoria is transgenderism. And there's also limb dephoria, where you feel like this limb does not belong to you. People actually make themselves amputees because of psychological problems. Their arms, their, their body parts will torment them because they have a psychological problem. So that's why I always say, instead of playing uh, Mr. Potato with the body, why not just change the mind? And so I, I say that teasingly, you know, if you can't stop doing something, cut it off. But the idea is this is how serious we are to take going to heaven. Yeah. 
So if I know that Jesus Christ loves me, and then he says that I shouldn't have an adulterous affair, if I am so tempted to have an adulterous affair that I can't control myself, I should castrate myself. Because I believe that there's a real hell to lose here and a heaven to gain. I don't want to go to hell. I want to go to heaven. Did you hear what I said? There's a hell to lose and a heaven to gain. Which one do you want? This is Jesus talking. Now, most of the time, we're going to take it metaphorical. So what are things we're going to do, like cutting off? Let me give you an example. You have a friend that had an affair, and they laugh and joke around about it. You cut off that friendship. That person's a bad example. They're taking an affair lightly. You young people, you have friends that smoke, drink, cuss, and chew, and hang around those who do. You cut off those people. You cut out bad people from your life. You have habits that you get into when you watch Netflix, Hulu, social media. Shut the entire thing off. It would be better for you to go back to a flip phone than for you to keep sinning every time you look at social media, Netflix, and so forth. You see, how serious are you about going to heaven? I didn't watch TV or movies for over eight years because I knew they had an influence on my thinking. You have to make a decision. What am I willing to give up to gain heaven? Don't you remember what we've already heard today, uh, heard before in the past from Jesus? He said the kingdom of heaven is like the pearl of great price where you sell everything you have just to get that. What is worth going to hell over? Nothing. There's not one thing worth going to hell over. Some people tell me, oh, I'm too busy to go to church because I got my job and all this. It would be better for you to quit your job, work a part-time job at McDonald's. You and your family live in a one-bedroom apartment, and you're here every time the doors open than for you to have a building named after you, and you're going to split hell wide open. Are you listening? I mean, are we talking the Bible or not? That was a weak hand clap. Y'all got to get real on that. Come on, Jesus. What, I mean, have we all, haven't we already read it? Do we have to go back over it, class? What does it profit a man to gain the whole world yet lose his soul? What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Nothing. There is nothing in our lives worth going to hell over. Addictions, our wants, our greeds. Our temptations, our sins, all of them, God says on judgment day, listen to me, will not be an excuse because the Bible says it would have been better for you to cut it off. Cut it off. Cut it off. I'm telling you right now, cut it off. That's why I talk to drug, drug and alcohol addicted people on the streets all the time. And I say, I'm not giving you any money. I'll give you something to eat if you're hungry. But if you're serious, you'll come with us right now to the program. And then they make up 101 excuses. See, they're not ready to cut it off. A married man in here is tempted about cheating on his wife. You know what? But he still goes to this job or this gym or this place where he's getting tempted. And then we do counseling and say, cut off the gym, cut off the job. Well, I'll lose all my benefits or I won't be with my buddies. You're not serious about keeping your marriage. Now, can we just run away from everything? No. At, at some point, the cutting off of the body here has to go to the cutting off of the mind. Let's go to Romans 12 in closing, please. Jesus really doesn't want you to drown yourself and cut off your body parts. What he really wants you to do is make your body a living sacrifice. Look at what it says in Romans 12, 1 and onward. If you're there, say I'm there. Come on, because I want to make sure you guys can read with me today. Can you guys help the preacher? Amen. 
It says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, because he loves us, right, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. So I put my body at the altar, and I say, God, this is yours. I don't want to cut it up, and I don't want to drown it in the sea. I'm going to lay down these wicked desires like a sacrifice. My body will be a living sacrifice to you. I will walk around as the walking dead because I won't give what my body wants. Make your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, hallelujah, his pleasing and perfect will. Do you know that when Jesus spoke those words, he was living in the most decadent, wicked culture we have probably ever known on this planet? At this time, soldiers would have children, boys, follow them as sex slaves so that when they were at war, they could have sexual pleasure. Even the Caesars of Rome at this time were having incest. If you watch the movie Gladiator, that's based off of true stories of them having sex with their own sisters, some with their own mothers. And Jesus was saying, I'm not playing with any of it. The, the idea of lesbianism and homosexuality was fluid in their culture. They would have orgies. Literally, our Bible warns against orgies. Why? Because they were having sex parties. Not only would they have sex parties for their own pleasure, they tied it into their own religion where you would go to a temple where prostitutes would be paid to have sex with you to offer you some spiritual experience. And Jesus is saying, I'm not playing with any of it. You mess with these children, it's going to be better for you to take a, this millstone and go jump in the sea right now. And a millstone was like a thousand pound piece of concrete that the oxen would walk in circles with so that the grain would be crushed into fine dust. He says, you mess with children, it would be better for you to go to hell. I mean, just go to hell right now, rather, to, to even go on any further. And then he said, hey, you guys over here, you think you're going to make an excuse for sin? Well, my Caesar was a pedophile. Well, my Caesar was a homosexual. Well, my parents were, were this or that, and we used to do orgies for our own religion. He said, none of that will, will fly on Judgment Day. You cut off everything that causes you to sin, and you put me first right now. Otherwise, you're going to hell. So how did Paul look at it? Paul looked at it like this is how we do it. So the... The, the stories of Jesus, the, the teachings of Jesus are made applicable by the epistles and the apostles. And so now we know this is what Jesus was trying to get us, not trying, but what Jesus wanted us to see as the way we do it. We lay down our bodies and we serve God. And starting with the children, we teach the children the ways of God. That's the greatest responsibility you and I have, fathers and mothers, is to teach our children the things of God. Don't make them stumble. Love them. Encourage them. Teach them the ways of God. And when they're old, the Bible says they won't depart. They'll remember what you have taught them. And then amongst ourselves, let's not do evil. Let's not fall into the trap of this culture and be like, well, you know, it's the way it is. And that's just, you know, the way we should accept things now. And God understands. No, he doesn't. We have to stick out in this culture, and we will even more. We will even more. As the world gets more dark, we're going to shine our light more. Amen? 
And so today as a church, it was a tough message, I know, but band, would you come up, please, because I want to close in prayer. I know it was a tough message, but hear my heart. I want us all to make it. I want us all to make it. I, I want us on Judgment Day to be there and to be rewarded for what we have done. I want you not to be ashamed of what you've done. And so today, if you have to confess to these altar workers as they start to come in just a moment, you do that. And if there's any sin in your life, get it out. And if you haven't learned yet to live without that sin, then come to those that are here because they're here to make disciples. You see why our church is so unique? We don't just teach it and then send you on your way. We're willing to live it out with you now because some of you, you, you haven't seen what it's like to be around a man that's never looked at pornography or hasn't looked at it for years. These men, everybody get this up here. I want everybody to get this, please. When you see these men up here, they cannot look at pornography and be up here. If they look at pornography, they get sat down, they go back into our 201 class. When you are looking at these men and women, you're looking at people who are living pornography free. Aren't you happy about that? Now ask yourself a question. All those other churches you went to or you visit or a conference, do you think they've been checked the same way? Most of them probably haven't. These worship leaders right up here have to have their marriages in order their family in order, and live without habitual sin. That means if they sin, they confess, but they are not living in habitual sin. What, what can you say about the other bands you hear on K-Love? I'm so sick and tired of hearing these, Christ, these half-hearted Christians that we exalted to celebrity status, and then they backslide, and then we all wonder what's going on. Like the latest and greatest was Joshua Harris. He's about my age. I wrote Date Like a Christian. He wrote Kiss Dating Goodbye. His book got picked up by publishers all over the place, right? And I actually even talked to publishers, and I said, I haven't read his book. It's just what God put in my heart. They're almost published at the same exact time, but I didn't have the slick look. I didn't have all this, and the publishers that wanted to do it, they said, well, if, if we publish it and sell it, you can't give it away. You have to buy it from us, the publisher, just like everybody else buys. And we'll give you a discount, but you just can't print them on your own and then give them out. And I said, well, I don't want to do that. The guy just announced his divorce. And then as he announced his divorce, he announced that he kissed Christianity goodbye and now says he's not a Christian. So hello, publishers. Who do you wish you published now? Right? But then again, they may say, well, we made our money. Who cares? Next one up, next one up. And so this guy is now doing an apology tour. Literally, Joshua Harris, look it up online, is doing an apology tour to the LGBT community and the purity, uh, you know, the things he talked about purity. One woman asked everybody who ever got a purity ring to send it in to her because purity rings are what you do when you make a commitment before God and your family to be a virgin till marriage. She asked everybody to send in her purity rings and she made a woman's part out of it, a genitalia as a statue, as an idol. And they handed it out at a feminist award. Look up that one. Be careful with your eyes. But she made a woman's private part out of purity rings. That's how sick and twisted this generation is. Yeah, that's, can we go back to the notes, please? Yes, it's going to come. But woe to the person that brings it. Go up to verse 7. Yes, it's going to come. But woe to such a person through whom they come. I pray that none of us have that set of us. At the end of Judas's life, this will scare the hell out of you, but you need the hell scared out of you if you got it. You need heaven put in. Are you listening? At the end of Judas's life, this was Jesus' word about him. It would have been better if he was never born. What's, what, what is coming his way now 
would have been better if he never even existed. And then sometimes you might say, well, that was mean for God to, to create him if God knew he was going to do X, Y, and Z. No, 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 shame on you for telling God he don't get to create. He's a creator. He can create. It is now your choice what you do in his creation. And there will be some on Judgment Day that will wish they were never born because all they did with this life is they turned from God and they will suffer in that hellfire. That's why Jesus, our Jesus, he said, man, if your foot or your hand causes you to sin, cut that off, man. You would be better to go to heaven with missing a limb than to go to hell with all your limbs. If your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out because it would be better for you to go to eternal life blind than to be cast into the hellfire with your whole body. Altar workers, would you come, please? Let's just stay where we're at. Let's pray. And then you can get it get up here if you need to in just a moment, but I want to pray for you first because I'm not here to emotionally drive you to these altars. I'm really not. I'm just here to be serious with you. And remember, whatever I preach to you, I got to preach to myself lest I be a hypocrite. So before we stand up and get ready to dismiss, everybody look at your hearts right now. Number one, have you abused a child? If you have, you need to be ready to confess it and make it right before God and man. Please come and see one of these workers in just a moment. Number two, if you have been abused as a child, come and let us pray for you to be healed. And if there is still something we can do, we will help you. Anything we can do to help you, we will. To get you out of the situation if you are, or counseling if you're out of it and you need recovery. Next, if there's anyone here living in continual sin and you're saying, I just can't stop, it's just addicting, Uh, it just feels good, I was born this way, I don't know how to do it differently. Ask God to forgive you right now. Ask God to forgive you and do whatever it takes to get that junk out of your life. Ask the Lord to show you where roots are at, uh, you know, mentality, ways of thinking. Because God wants to pull up the junk right now. I want to tell you, it's not going to be by your own strength. God will do it. If you would have asked me November 4th, 1995, could I be a virgin till marriage, you know, not have sex for another 10 years, I would have said, man, you're crazy. There's no way I can go a a month without having sex. But the moment I gave my heart to Jesus, he uprooted those things. So don't look to yourself to have the strength. God will do it for you. And then lastly, those of you who have a deep heart for your children, or maybe not only just for yours, but for your relatives and those around you, maybe even the neighborhood, I want you to think about how you can help children, maybe joining our Wednesday or our our youth programs or something so you can make a difference in children's lives because so many are being hurt, so many are being neglected. In a few moments, we're going to stand up. If any of those things apply to you, come on forward because you know what? No one's going to judge you. No one will know the difference if you're coming to reach children or if you're coming to confess you've hurt children. It's going to be private. It's going to be handled in discretion. But I'm telling you, no matter what, God hit on your heart today, whether it's to confess something or to ask God to help you to do something. These altars should be filled, filled in just a few moments because we should be a church that responds to the word of God. And there was a lot to take in today. Do it, Lord, in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Let's stand up to our feet. Give it up for Jesus.